Hello, and welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast, sponsored by the University of Law with me, Neve Gray. Today, I've got a really exciting episode for you because it's the first episode of our new series where we take a look at trending commercial issues and break them down to help improve your commercial awareness. In this episode, we'll be using the wrestle with pestle method to analyse the political, economic, social, technological, legal, and environmental impacts of the UK strikes. So let's dive in. Okay, so as I mentioned, this is the first episode of our new series, Commercial Roundup, and the point of this series is to help aspiring solicitors and barristers boost their commercial awareness, which should be useful during pupillage or training contract interviews, but also throughout these ventures to demonstrate that you're taking a keen interest in the business world. I'm going to cover the strikes this week, and I'm going to do this by breaking down the issues surrounding the strikes using the PESEL method. If you haven't heard of the PESEL method, it's a technique you can use to break down complex issues, dividing them into six different categories. If you'd like some help understanding the PESEL method, just head to Law Careers Net and type in Wrestle with PESEL for a helpful article that breaks it down. Okay, I think we're ready to get PESELing. The strikes in the UK have been a hot topic for a while now. Between June and December in 2022, 2.472 million working days were disrupted due to strike action, with workers striking over a number of reasons, including wages, underfunding, pensions, job losses and contractual agreements, with each sector dealing with its own individual complexities. On Wednesday the 15th of March alone, more than 400,000 workers went on strike, descending upon Trafalgar Square and Downing Street to call for government action. Despite the complexities of each industry's struggle, what the strikes ultimately come down to is a detachment between the UK government and ordinary working people. The wage stagnation over the past 15 years is described as completely unprecedented by Think Tank Resolution Foundation with workers estimated to be £11,000 worse off per year because of this. On that note, let's look at the politics behind the strikes. Among the disruption and cries for fair pay lies the crucial argument that the UK government is failing to support the industries that form the backbone of the UK. Political factors such as COVID-19, Brexit, skyrocketing energy prices and the cost of living crisis have accumulated and ordinary working people are now desperately relying on the government to fund pay rises, introduce a minimum wage that reflects current inflation and end the war on trade unions. Between April and September in 2022, 320,000 people were forced to turn to Trussell's Trust food banks, a 40% increase compared to previous years. Between 2020 and 2021, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation reported that an estimated 7.2 million people were going without necessities such as food, showers and heating. At current, minimum wage sits £4.58 below the real living wage recommendation of £15 an hour set by the Living Wage Foundation. The government's handling of this series of crises that have led us here have left thousands of workers feeling as though they have no choice but to strike. And it's not only previous government action that's led to the strikes, but current government action now plays a direct role in ensuring that the strikes come to an amicable end. This is because the government has the power to block deals made in an attempt to resolve the strike. So, for instance, in December, UK ministers blocked a deal offering the RMT union a 10% pay rise over two years, and this actually ended up prolonging the industrial action. That's all for political factors today. Let's move on to economic. 
The economy plays a crucial role in understanding the wave of industrial action that's taken place across the UK. Average real pay, which can be understood as workers' wages once inflation is taken into account, is now lower than it was in 2008. The UK has witnessed more than a decade of stagnant pay, making it the longest pay squeeze since Napoleonic times, according to the Trade Union Congress. In fact, the union estimates that had wages grown in line with pre-2008 trends, workers would be earning £291 a week more than they currently are. To frame this in terms of an annual salary, in 2022, the median annual salary for full-time employees was 33000 but according to the TUC, it should have been 47259 In effect, what this means is that inflation has resulted in workers' pay falling over the years rather than rising. In the past year alone, for instance, nurses' real pay fell by £1,800, and paramedics and midwives pay by 2,400. So how does this relate to the strikes? Well, I think it's worth considering why the government hasn't done more to combat this wealth inequality. The burning question for many is, if there isn't money for workers' wages, where are all these profits going? Since 2008, shareholder payouts have skyrocketed 440 billion above inflation. And while this isn't a direct government action, the government can reform company laws that prioritise shareholder profits over workers. During a strike at Flexistow Docks in August, Sharon Graham of Unite revealed to Dockers that its company made 79 million in profits the previous year, of which 42 million was distributed to shareholders. Workers were then further enraged when in February, Shell reported outrageous profits of $40 billion, while two in five British people are forced to choose between heating or eating. Rishi Sunak is facing copious amounts of pressure to increase windfall tax on companies like Shell. Liberal Democrat leader Ed Davey said no company should be making these kinds of outrageous profits out of Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. Paul Novak, General Secretary of the TUC, called Shell's profits an insult to working families. In the past year, annual gas prices have risen by 129.4%. Speaking to The Guardian, Novak said, instead of holding down the pay of paramedics, teachers, firefighters and millions of the other hard-pressed public servants, ministers should be making big oil and gas pay their fair share. As reported in our Trending Commercial Issues of 2023 feature, the 2023 recession is predicted to be the longest recession in history, and this plethora of strikes is a reflection of the anguish workers are feeling in light of our collapsing economy. And now a short message from our podcast sponsor, the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many courses to help students work and study at the same time. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. We're coming on to the social impact of strikes now, but it's first important to understand that strikes, by definition, are a social action. For industrial action to take place, a group of workers must come together expressing their discontent over their working conditions and form a mutual agreement to enact a mass refusal to work. Planning, compromise and coordination are all key sociological elements of a strike, requiring workers to remain united in its initiation, maintenance 
and termination. By choosing to strike, workers across the UK are forming allyships, which, to be successful, require excellent levels of communication, leadership and influence. The success of strikes is dependent on the strength of the alliances workers have formed. If these relationships break down or their goals fail to align, the power workers possess becomes diminished. An example of this can be seen when considering the barrister strikes. In October, criminal barristers accepted a deal from the Criminal Bar Association that left junior barristers feeling excluded and forgotten. A pay rise of 15% on legal aid fees led to 2,605 barristers voting to end the five-month strike action. But when polled just before the vote, 84% of young barristers indicated that they'd be voting to reject the government's offer. Another key sociological factor of the strikes is public support. More recently, there's been a lot of consideration relating to the public's opinion of strikes, with suggestions that winning the minds of the public is crucial to their success. However, this framing paints the strikes as simply political protests and ignores the physical reality of workers withholding their labour. Instead, the true determination of success for industrial action is whether the strikes are disruptive enough. It's essential that workers cause maximum levels of service disruption during industrial action to demonstrate the cruciality of their services. When striking, workers must cause mass levels of inconvenience to their employer and unfortunately this often includes the public as necessary collateral. This is best evidenced through the rail strikes that have caused continuous disruption across the UK, inconveniencing thousands of people since June 2022. But as a result of this action, they've now been offered a deal by network rail bosses and have agreed to suspend further strikes. Ideological factors also incorporate trends and how people interact with the topic of industrial action. The key driver in spreading awareness and educating the public on recent industrial action has been RMT union boss Mick Lynch. In the past year, Mick Lynch has become a national figure. Hashtag Mick Lynch has received 40.8 million views on TikTok, with other hashtags including Mick Lynch for MP, We Love Mick Lynch, and Mick Lynch's Superman, all receiving thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views across TikTok and Instagram. Lynch has been the face of industrial action across news and media platforms, taking interview after interview to explain the need for trade unions and industrial action, and his likeable manner has been incredibly successful. So successful, in fact, that Days Magazine described the British public as having Mick mania, adding that the enthusiasm for Lynch expresses a longing for a better class of public figure. And across the internet, you'll see hundreds of people asking why politicians can't be more like him. Lynch was able to unite workers and educate thousands on the cruciality of trade unions, winning the battle of social media. After a long and difficult campaign, the RMT has now won a pay rise of 14.4% for its lowest paid workers and 9.2% for its highest. Although Lynch doesn't represent other industries that have elected to take industrial action, he's become a figurative representative of all workers demanding better pay. Without him, public engagement and media interest in the strikes wouldn't have been anywhere near as substantial. That's all for Sociological Factors. On to technological factors now, and this is an area that's often overlooked when assessing the strikes, but actually technology has a huge impact on businesses and therefore so did the strikes. So as I've already discussed, 2.474 million working days were lost between June and December in 2022 due to strike action. But what this did was result in a lack of data to assess industries. Data taken when assessing businesses and making comparisons between previous years has now been skewed by workers taking time off to strike. 
For example, one impact of the NHS strike was that a number of appointments were cancelled and thus couldn't be captured in spending or real-time indicators. Another example of this could be the change in public spending habits. During rail strikes, there was a displacement of card spending towards taxi services and buses as consumers adapted their behaviour to mitigate the impact of strikes, which skewed understandings of the public's behaviour. Pratamanja is another example. It experienced significantly less in-store transactions at stores located in train stations during rail strikes, thus skewing its profit data. Now, you may, quite fairly, be thinking, surely those who are recording data can just exclude strike days or factor in the fact that strikes would have been the cause of any changes. However, a significant portion of recent industrial action was taken during other major factors and events, making it increasingly difficult to distinguish the impact of strikes on various data collections. The Queen's death, the cost of living crisis, and FIFA's first winter World Cup all make it impossible to effectively isolate data changes caused because of the strikes. Onto an area that I'm sure will be a favourite now for most of our listeners, legal. So the key legal factor relating to the strikes is of course the government's strikes minimum service levels bill. The bill, which passed its second reading in Parliament back in February, will ensure minimum levels of service are maintained during any industrial action undertaken by what the government classes as essential services. Now, the issue for those wanting to strike is that the legislation will undermine the very essence of striking, which is disruption. It'll also mean that workers who voted to strike can be forced to work and sacked if they don't comply. TUC General Secretary Novak called the bill undemocratic, unworkable and almost certainly illegal. If enacted, the bill would completely reshape UK trade union law, limiting trade unions' powers to cause mass disruptions that are crucial to the success of strikes. From a legal perspective, several questions have been raised about how the bill would work, particularly because, one, the bill doesn't define what reasonable steps are, two, it fails to prevent union leaders from encouraging non-member workers to refuse to cross picket lines, thus failing to address a different way to cause disruption, and three, if skilled professionals in public services were fired due to striking, there's no clear evidence as to how this would help improve public services already experiencing drastic staff shortages. I'm going to leave the legal factors there and move on to our final factor, which is the environment. The environmental implications of industrial action may be less apparent than the political or economic, but they're still crucial to understanding the impact of strikes. Industrial action can lead to commuters who may normally get the train deciding to drive or take taxis, people working from home due to transportation interruptions, a drop in the number of ambulance call-outs, consumers opting for in-person purchases over online orders, and rubbish covering city streets. Two perhaps more obvious environmental implications of the strikes were the effects of industrial action taken by transport workers. Disruptions led to commuters having to reassess their normal routes to work, with many instead choosing private car use, which in turn contributes to an excess of carbon emissions. But on the other hand, since the option was first made available during the 2020 pandemic, several workers worked from home on both days of the rail strikes and days when schools were closed, enabling parents to also care for children who had been impacted by teacher strikes. Whether those who chose to work from home outnumbered those who chose to use private cars to get into work on the days of the strikes is unclear. However, the environmental implications of both are worth considering. A decline in ambulance call-outs is another environmental impact worthy of note. 
In December, when ambulance workers went on strike, the volume of 999 calls fell by one third. Some ambulance staff suggested the declining calls was due to citizens only calling ambulances for serious or life-threatening injuries, which allowed services to respond to the most in need quickly. It's been suggested that people often call ambulances for a number of ailments and illnesses that they don't need immediate attention for, in effect treating ambulances as an A&E taxi service. Another environmental factor is postal strikes. Postal strikes directly impacted consumer spending, with many people opting for in-person purchases rather than their preferred usual method of next-day delivery, which is of course damaging to the planet. As a result of postal strikes, consumers could turn to purchasing from local small businesses that are more likely to stock environmentally friendly local produce, in turn reducing consumers' carbon footprints. And finally, refuse workers in Glasgow and Edinburgh went on strike, which meant that the city was covered in a mountain of rubbish. Refuse workers are responsible for keeping cities free from disease and vermin that come hand in hand with an accumulation of rubbish. To speak candidly, they're the force that stands between us and a public health emergency. Their strike incurred an awareness surrounding the amount of unnecessary waste we generate. And that's all for environmental factors. So, we've gone through PESL, what's the verdict? Strikes are inherently a political issue, however, as this PESL method has demonstrated, UK strikes are a diverse and complex topic. From the intrinsically social nature of industrial action, to the government's anti-strike legislation, there are a multitude of intriguing factors that can help to dissect the causes behind and implications of the UK strikes. This is a topic that will likely remain relevant for the year to come, so stay up to date with industrial action developments in our commercial news roundup each week. And remember, if we can apply the PESL method to the strikes, you can too. Thank you for joining us today, and I'll see you next time. Bye.